Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. The Biden administration has pretty lofty ambitions for the offshore wind industry. President Joe Biden is counting on offshore wind farms to produce at least enough power for 10 million American homes by the end of the decade. However, as Politico's Rod Rivard and Marie French report, energy companies have struggled to finance their projects, asking governors and utility regulators for more money. That grim financial outlook is threatening one of Biden's most important energy plans, and things may only get worse for the industry as the 2024 elections roll around. So today, Ryan and I talk about offshore wind's financial woes and what they mean for the president's climate goals. It's Thursday, July 27th. So a lot of these contracts where states agreed to buy uh, offshore wind energy were signed before the pandemic. And since the pandemic, we know that there's been inflation, there have been rising interest rates, the cost of steel has soared. So all of these projects, you know, that were priced at one point, you know, the prices have changed. I talked to Atlantic Shores, which is developing a project off the New Jersey coast, and they say the prices have gone up 30% since it was approved by the state in uh, 2021. And so that money has to come from somewhere, and these are sort of signed contracts, and so they need to be renegotiated, amended, boosted, supplemented, subsidized. Something needs to happen to get this money if these projects are going to move ahead. And why are, why are costs going up? You know, you see inflation, you see higher interest rates, you see the cost of steel has soared, you know, there's a tighter labor market. You know, we've seen transmission costs, you know, are either included or not included in the project. But largely, it's been, you know, the sort of reason that you're paying more at the pump and paying more at the grocery store and all that kind of stuff. Got it. And many industry officials and green energy supporters you spoke to describe this year as really a crossroads for the offshore wind industry and its development. Biden and Democrats have these aggressive goals, and this is an important year for them. So why is that and what are they seeing ahead? I think you're seeing a couple of different things. You know, I cover New Jersey. I worked on this story with Marie French, who's a reporter in New York. And there's sort of different things happening in both states. But in, you know, one of the overlying contexts is obviously there's an election next year and we don't know who wins. We don't know if a Republican administration is going to come in that isn't as favorable to permitting offshore wind projects as the Biden administration has been, that isn't going to have the same goals as the Biden administration does for offshore wind. We certainly know President Trump was not particularly a fan of the offshore wind industry. Projects really weren't moving much under his watch. So that's one of the contexts. The other context is some of these projects, again, were sort of signed and estimated before the pandemic and prices have gone up. And some of them were supposed to begin construction soon or investment decisions need to be made next year. And so you're seeing companies go back to public utility commissions, regulators, governors, lawmakers and say, hey, we need some more money here. You're seeing that in New York. You're seeing that in New Jersey uh, with mixed results and in Massachusetts and Rhode Island, too. Yeah. So on the state side, I mean, how are they reacting to energy companies coming to them asking for more money? So, you know, in New York, we're sort of waiting on utility regulators. They're looking over some different petitions that have been filed for projects there. In New Jersey, there's sort of mixed results. The state has approved three projects 
you know, offering ratepayer subsidies, agreeing to buy the power from three different offshore wind projects. You know, one of them by Ersted, which would be the state's first offshore wind farm, you know, went to the legislature, said, hey, you know, we really want to be able to take advantage of federal tax incentives in, in a way that state regulations hadn't allowed at the time. The money would have had to go back to ratepayers. And the company argued successfully to the legislature, if you let us keep that, that's not a big burden on ratepayers. The legislature went for that argument and, and and did a deal that let the company keep federal tax incentives from, from the Inflation Reduction Act. Atlantic Shores, which would be building the second offshore wind farm in New Jersey, has sort of a different thing. They have seen their costs go up and they would probably need to change you know, how much ratepayer is going to put towards the project. So far, they haven't been able to persuade the legislature to do anything for them yet, but they're trying. You know, they said we have to make a decision whether we're going to invest in this project for sure and start construction sometime next year. And at this point, they don't have enough money to do that. It's not an investable project. You mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act, which, of course, contains these very generous incentives to boost clean energy of all types. There's this focus on domestic manufacturing and bringing supply chains here. What's the sense of how helpful that will be, how helpful the IRA will be in the federal aid for offshore wind in particular in overcoming these challenges, given you know this industry is pretty nascent and there really isn't much of a domestic base at this point? So you see some of the tax incentives. We're still waiting on kind of final guidance from the IRS on how to qualify for these tax incentives. But, you know, they're pretty generous. 40% of basically capital costs can come as tax credits. But the terms aren't finalized. As you said, you know, the supply chain isn't quite there. Union labor, uh, you know, has to be factored in to some of these costs. That's a big, one of the big reasons that the Biden administration is such a big booster of offshore when they think they can get environmental benefits, union jobs, and a domestic supply chain. I think we, in our reporting, had some kind of mixed sense. Uh, some offshore wind projects are going to keep the incentives and that's going to help get them over the finish line. Others are sort of it's going to take some time to see if that can save the projects or not. Also, on Wednesday, federal and state authorities reached a deal with the city of Jackson, Mississippi, to hand control of its troubled sewer system over to the same third-party manager already running its decrepit drinking water system. Under a proposed agreement filed with the federal district court, an interim manager would take over the sewer system, a plan endorsed by EPA, the Justice Department, and the Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality. Remember, Jackson's sewer system spilled 4.5 billion gallons of raw or partially treated sewage into the Pearl River between March 2020 and February 2022, and those spills have also sent sewage into homes and businesses. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power dash switch. And subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron knows developing and deploying carbon capture and storage is a critical step in helping make progress towards global net zero, which is why we're targeting 25 million tons of CO2 per year in storage and offsets by the end of the decade. That's energy in progress. Visit chevron.com slash carbon capture.